Amen. It's good to be with you today. As our offering is being taken, I want to show you a slide, and let me guess, it's probably autobiographical of you, right? Tis the season for pumpkins. What I plan to do, what I actually do. You know, God plans. He planned you. He put you on the calendar. And so it's important that we plan and put loving and serving God and serving others on the calendar as well. Because life is more, right, than just putting pumpkins on a porch. So as you came in today, you received this. And I would like for you to take it out. And I want you to look at the front cover. It's an arresting image. This picture of this little boy looking for something was actually taken in Bethlehem. Not Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, the Bethlehem. And it's a powerful picture that the world, with all of its trappings, it's looking for something deeper. And we have the answer. Look at the back cover. As you make plans, life is busy. Maybe you want to help us this Christmas. It's going to be here like tomorrow, right? Sort of like going into Walgreens in July and seeing Christmas trees already up. All right, now look inside. Look at page 16. Now, prior to 16 are pages of ways that you can plan to serve this Christmas season. But you just saw Barakat on the video talking about a gospel conversation. Barakat and his wife Rebecca, they're listed in this spread, pages 16 and 17. This is a picture that we not only reach our neighbors close to us, we reach the nations all around the world. And, and under the headings of Americas, you'll see Barakat and his wife Rebecca. And we put one child in there next to him. She's expecting... And we're eager to welcome their new baby. And you see the people that God is raising up out of Brentwood Baptist Church to share the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Not only here, but also around the world. And then last thing, look at page 19. This is an opportunity for you to challenge yourself. Maybe having gospel conversations with people comes naturally. It flows easily. And maybe for you it's, it's a little harder. But we know that the gospel that has come to us must flow through us. So I would ask that you would take this. You know, in years past when we've produced this, we've had many of our members take this and give it to their friends and neighbors just to say, hey, you may want to know what we at Brentwood Baptist are all about. So this is a great way of just sharing with your friends and neighbors what's happening among and in and through this family. God planned you. Will you plan to love and serve him this Christmas season? And as you plan you will be struck by the ways that God provides opportunity in your way. Now, friends, this is a question 
that hummed in the background of first century Judaism, but there was no real consensus. This question is, which of all the commands is the most important? Now, you know that Judaism had this complex legal system. There were hundreds of laws. Some were called heavy, some were called light. And so when Jesus is asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? He's being asked, what is the heaviest, weightiest commandment? And we're about to read an encounter that Jesus has with a group of people and, and one teacher in particular. It's sort of a dramatic week. It's, it's Passover week. This is the last week of Jesus' life, and Jesus knows what he is facing. And there is drama, and there is intrigue, and there is tension, and there are threats, and people are wanting to trap Jesus. They're plotting against Jesus. He knows that this is the week that is the culmination of his earthly ministry. And it should come as no surprise to you that Jesus, he's ready. He is perfectly poised and perfectly prepared with perfectly proportioned answers. Rather than feeling stress, rather than feeling defensive, Jesus responds, and he always responds, with just the right word, in just the right spirit, in just the right tone, and with just the right motive. And what empowered Jesus to face this difficult week, loving and serving others because he knew that his father loved him and so because of that he could love his father with everything that was in him and so then Jesus could also love others even those plotting against him in this encounter with everything that was in him and the scribe the lawyer asks him one question what is the greatest commandment but Jesus doesn't just answer with one he gives two and he puts them in order and he shows the connection. So we've sort of set the table for this conversation. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word, and how does Jesus answer the question in the last week as he faces the cross? What's on Jesus's mind for you and for me? Teacher, he's asked, which command of the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Father, we are here and your people are listening. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for paying the debt. Thank you for lifting the curse so that we are truly free to be loved and to love. Amen. You may be seated. And so friends, today in this vision series, we're going to take a special look today at this word soul. When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your soul. This word soul can be defined many different ways. One way is the word breath. 
One way is that it represents all of your life, the whole person, your whole self. You do realize that you're sort of a patchwork, right? You're a patchwork of heart and mind and strength and personality, experiences, passions, gifts, scars, wounds, hopes, and dreams. In the Gospel of Mark, when Mark records this encounter, he adds strength that Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your strength. So if heart is the center of your emotions, if mind is the center of your thinking, if strength is the center of your will and your determination, what you will actually do, then the soul sort of knits it all together. It's your core. It's your identity. But the soul is more than just time and space and experience here on this earth. Soul, is it that eternal part of you that lives far beyond the bounds of your flesh? Because we know this to be true. Tick, tock, right? Time is passing. But your soul is not passing away. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, every day your soul becomes more of who it is supposed to be. You and I do not merely have a soul. You are a soul. And yet, the world is soul sick. Soul sickness is everywhere. The psalmist in Psalm 42 says, Why, my soul, are you so dejected and depressed? Why, soul, are you in such turmoil? Is that not the question that the world is asking? Soul sickness, it's everywhere. Not only is soul sickness everywhere, do you know that it is a diagnosed medical condition? It's true. In the Journal of the American Osteopathic Association, so it must be true, it's in a journal, it is written that soul sickness is defined as a pervasive hopelessness, a pervasive helplessness that is further accompanied by a perceived sense of incompetence. Ouch. Reminds me of the pumpkin picture. And soul sickness? Sleep really doesn't help when your soul is tired. Food doesn't really help when your soul is hungry. And empty relationships don't really satisfy when your soul is lonely. What is the point of life? People are asking. What is the point of me? The world is asking. And all peoples of all cultures, of all religions, are asking the same question. What is the best way to live life on this planet? And Jesus gives us the answer as he faces the cross. He gives us two commandments, love God and love others, right? Do you notice, friends, he does not give us three commandments. He does not say, love yourself, love God, and love others. He says, love God. And he says, love others. He says, love others as yourself. He doesn't say, love yourself. 
He says, just as you are concerned for your own life and you work to meet your own needs and to fulfill your own desires, so then be just as concerned and focused on others as you are on yourself. Love others as if they were you. In James chapter 2, verse 8, he repeats this. He actually, the writer James, calls it the royal law. Not just a suggestion, not just a good idea, but a fundamental principle of life commanded by the royal king himself. And so to fulfill this royal law, we are to treat everyone as you would treat your best self. Because the assumption is here, friends, is that you are already naturally wired and inclined to treat yourself best. Learning to love yourself, the greatest love of all. Does someone want to sing that song? Those lyrics tragically did not work out for Whitney Houston, and it will not work out for you. And yet, we are not without hope. Self-love, as the world defines it, is not the answer to the soul sickness and the self-loathing that we see all around us. And it mars the image of God that he has placed on every person. True soul care is in loving God and loving others. And don't start with loving yourself, because if you start there, you will never get beyond self. And so as you love God and love others, here's what will start happening to self. You will see yourself as God sees you, and you will see others as God sees them, made in him his image, worthy of dignity and respect and compassion. You will start to see people not as mere people, as objects either to be used or manipulated or, or threats to be neutralized. You will start to see all people for who they actually are other souls. So David is not just David. Deborah, you're not just Deborah. Karen, you're not just Karen. Karen, you are God's creation. Deborah, you are God's idea. David, you are not just David, but you are this beautiful patchwork of pain and joy and lostness and redemption. And so when God loves you with his love and you're captivated by his love, his very core loving your core, your core can then love the cores of others. So your soul starts loving others' souls. Mark's account tells us that when Jesus gave them this answer, these people that were seeking to trap Jesus, they were stunned. They were silenced. The word actually is gagged. There was nothing left to say. First century, Jerusalem, mic drop. And look at verse 40. Jesus says, not only is this my opinion, he says that all the law and prophets, what is this? All the scriptures, all the Old Testament, the Bible, the Bible rests on these two. Everything else in your Bible is a definition, an illustration, and an explanation of this. And so, soul, who is your neighbor? 
some might criticize Jesus for not being strategic. But who's our neighbor? It's anyone. It's everyone. It's all souls. It's every soul. And we see this in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Your neighbor is anyone. And God, in his love, gives you the capacity to love anyone, anywhere, anytime. Your neighbor, it's people that you know. It's people that you don't know. It's people that you like. It's people that you don't like. It's people who are near. It's people who are far. It's people who look like you. And it's people who do not look like you. It's people who believe the way that you believe, and it's people who don't believe the way that you believe. Because you see, this is God's economy. This is God's story. This is God's soul plan for the world. His image, his likeness, parts of his very personality to love and to be loved, they were placed in humanity at creation, not redemption. And the image of God has been seriously marred by the fall. But it was not utterly obliterated. And we still see fingerprints, don't we? We still see smudges of what God meant. And so this divine likeness of the soul is still part of our fallen existence. In fact, it's the essential definition of what it means to be human. And so therefore, every person, whether a derelict in the gutter or the deacon in the church, must be treated as if we were speaking and sharing and ministering to Jesus himself. So in light of this, how do you look at our church's vision statement? I think we have a slide that, that illustrates, that shows this vision statement. That we are going to engage the whole person mind, body, soul, and strength with the whole gospel, not that Jesus likes you, not that he's your Bible buddy who exists to give you a happy life, but know the whole gospel, that he was arrested and tried and brutalized and killed and buried and rose again, and he took on your debt and he took on your curse so that as you place your faith in him, you are free to love God and to love others. Anywhere, here and around the world, anytime, 24-7, and with anybody, because anybody means any soul. So how you love others, my soul brother and my soul sister, is a mirror and a window into your own soul. And how you love others is how you love God. And so my friends, what does a healthy soul look like? We know about soul sickness. What does a healthy soul look like? And, and I know this sounds counterintuitive, but a healthy soul is a soul that is simultaneously at rest and on mission. At rest, confident in the sufficiency of Christ, but not lazy. 
So enlivened and vivified by the love of God, the soul at rest serves and loves others. There's a woman in our church, I'll call her Sally, and she learned how to tell Bible stories. She was challenged that as you go out in your day-to-day life, share a gospel conversation, tell a Bible story, and so she walks into Taco Bell one day, and there's no one in there except the two workers behind the counter, and she goes up to the two workers, and she orders her taco, and she overhears the two workers behind the counter talking to each other. And the one worker says to the other worker, well, of course you need to sleep with him before you move in with him because that's how you'll know if you're compatible. All Sally wants to do is eat her taco in peace. God speaks. You got a story. You can say something. And in that moment, she's not motivated by judgment or condemnation or hatred. Her soul is broken for their souls. And so she says to them, hey, I I heard what you guys were talking about. Do you mind if I tell you a story? And they looked a little quizzical, and they said, okay. And she gave them this story. She said, Jesus was teaching people about what life with God is supposed to be like. And at the end of his teaching, he said, you know, there were two men. There was a wise man, and he built a house. And he built it on a rock. And the storm came. And the rain fell, and the water rose, and the wind beat against that house, but it didn't fall. There was another man. He was a foolish man, and he built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the waters rose, and the storm beat against that house, and it collapsed with a mighty crash. Jesus went on to say, anyone who builds their life on me and my words is this wise person. And anyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like that foolish person. And she looked at those girls and she said, I'm going to be praying for you as you make this important decision. Gets her taco. Sits down. A couple minutes later, these two girls come out from behind the counter. And they come up to her and they say, can I sit down with you? And she said, yes. And she sa- they said, do you have another story? <laughs> but, you know, the soul is not just at rest and on mission. The soul, this side of heaven is dress rehearsal for eternity. I lost my mother in January. A couple of months before she died, she was feeling better, and she hadn't been to church in months, and so my dad took her to church. They sat in the back in case they needed to make a quick exit. And my dad noticed that my mother just seemed to be hanging on every word, on every Melody. And on the way home, he asked her, he said, Honey, how did you enjoy church today? And she said, I loved every minute. So months later, 
I call my dad a lot. Dad, how are you doing? And you know, he tends to tell me the same story, but I want him to tell me the same story. Say, Dad, how are you doing? And he says, how do I begrudge her for where she is? And he says, I don't only think about where she is. I think about what she's doing. And I know that she is loving every minute of it. We are souls loved by God seeking to love others. Will you pray with me? So Father, you have all these souls here today. Not just people, not just bodies, not just minds, not just hearts. For those of us who have already accepted this free gift of our debt being paid and our curse lifted as the song so powerfully reminded us, may we love you more. And give us more love. for the sick souls all around us. This holiday season and all times. And friends, if there is someone here today, is there a particular decision that you need to make? Maybe you need to come and join this family of souls and become part of what we are doing to reach Middle Tennessee and to sin from Middle Tennessee. Or maybe you are a soul created by God who has not yet fully received his greatest love gift, which is salvation offered to you in Christ Jesus. Could today be your day of salvation? Where you say, I have been trying it my way and it's not working, it will never work, and so now I come? And I give my life to Jesus. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Take my sin, something that I cannot do myself, and I place my trust and my hope and my life and my eternity, my soul, into your vast love. Could this be you today? At the end of the service, right across the hall, in the parlor where you see next steps, we're going to be there, and we would love to welcome you into the family, whatever that means. You're going to have some pretty mundane, routine moments this week, your Taco Bell moment. Are you ready? Because you, child of God, have a redeemed soul. The world needs it. And so as we close, the Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your soul 
the Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, lover of our souls. Amen.